Amen, amen. If you've got your Bibles, pull those out. We're going to continue to look at the Christmas story. Thank you, band. Great rendition of that. You made me cry, which I know is not easy. Uh, but thank you for that. Great job. Uh, I want to look at Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at specifically verses 8 through 12 again, looking at the story um, of, of the birth of Christ and, and, and what that day meant so many years ago. And I want to read that to you today, specifically looking at verses 8 through, uh, through 12 today. And it said, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, that today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Everybody say that with me. Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. Here, here is the sign that they knew that, that, that they would find this Savior, that, that you will find him wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And so this is the great news that was given to these shepherds some 2,000 um, years ago, that this news of a Savior uh, that would be born uh, for the world. And so I want to look at a couple things here, because as we're looking at uh, different carols and uh, Christmas carols, and that's the one thing I love about this year, because it doesn't matter where you go, what store you go to, you can, you can hear the Christmas carols being played in the stores, and that's one thing that, that, that I love about, uh, about this, uh, this time of the year. But what's interesting about this particular carol, and I know we don't sing it all the time uh, during uh, this Christmas time it, 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 in services, because it's more of a, a children's carol, but I, I love it all the same. Um, I want to give you a little background of this song because it's kind of interesting. The background of the song was actually first published in a Lutheran Sunday school curriculum in 1885. And um, this caused some misunderstanding on who the author was. Many thought it was Martin Luther, who was the father of the Reformation, who lived in the 1500s. But actually today, we really don't know who the author is. And the author um, remains a mystery. And this song is obviously loved by children, and decade after decade, it has been sung by millions of children, including Lily. And so uh, we know that we love this song. And, and, and what I love about this particular carol is in, in the words, it says, Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus. And we, and we see the lordship of Jesus even as he's lying in this manger, and we know that the manger was a feeding trough for animals. Jesus is born in this, this, this most meager surroundings. He's leaving his, his heavenly home uh, to take the role of a servant and give his life for us. And, and, and I believe really the reason why Jesus was really born in the lowest of places, he was showing us, God was showing us that, that none of us are too low for his grace, that all of us can come. That God receives all who comes to him, all who calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And I believe that through the manger scene and these, these meager beginnings and, and most likely being born in a cave uh, where animals were around um, shows us that, that God came in humility. He came to serve us. He came to deal with the messiness of our life and the messiness of our sin. And we have just, just a perfect Savior in every way that desires to relate to us. He, he came to, to break the chains of 
religion and break the chains that, that were held on people's lives that they had to approach God in a certain way that unless you did A, B, and C, unless you were born of a certain heritage or you had a certain background or you had some type of elite status that those are the only ones that could approach God. But God, through his son Jesus, blows all those things away and says, no, 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 anyone that comes to me, I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your nationality is. I don't care what your ethnic background is. All who come to me, I will receive as sons and daughters in my kingdom. Isn't that good news? And that is what so desperately our world needs to hear today. And so that's what we see in the person of Jesus. Jesus born in this lowliest of places. At the same time, he is Lord. And that's what I love about verse 11 in Luke chapter 2 because what it says to us, it says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's been given to you. And he's the Messiah and the Lord. And, and Jesus is, is given three titles in this very verse in chapter 11. He's given the title of savior. He's given the title of Christ. And he's given the title of, of Lord. And I want you to understand something. In the New Testament, these titles are very significant because it shows the person of who Christ is and the purpose of him coming. Not just as a, a nice person, not just as a person who would come and help people. These are the titles of Jesus and what he would do for you and I. As we look in the New Testament, the word Savior is used for, Jews, for Jesus 24 times in the New Testament. The word Christ is used over 500 times. But here's the amazing thing. The word Lord is used over 700 times in the New Testament to describe Jesus. Now, this interests me a little bit. Because I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this. 24 times we see Savior. 500 times we see the word Christ. But 700 times we see this word Lord used for Jesus. And I think God wants us to take heart of this. He wants us to take notice of this. What is it about the Lordship of Jesus Christ? What does it mean that Jesus is Savior Christ and Lord? What does this have to do with everyday life for you and I? What's the, what meaning does this have for my marriage? What meaning does this have if I'm dating? Uh, what meaning does this have if I'm, I'm single? What meaning does this have if I'm a, if I'm a teenager? Um, what does it mean if, if I'm buying Christmas presents or getting together with family? What, what does the meaning of Christ and the Lordship of Christ have to do with my everyday life and the way I live my life? I believe it has everything to do with it. And, and, and if, if I understand who Jesus is, it will change everything about the way that I live my life. And so th this became very vivid and, and real to me um, as a young person, because as a young person, we went to church. My family took us to church. I went to Sunday school. I knew about Jesus. I sang the hymns. But what changed for me at the age of 16 and made all the difference in, in my life and for the past 34 years is this one thing that happened to me when I was 16. I, I understood who Jesus was. I, I understood the Christmas story. I would sing the songs, but the difference was I never really surrendered my life to Jesus. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old 
that I actually surrendered my life to Christ and actually made it personal. And I believe here's where we can make the mistake. Technically, we don't make Jesus Savior or make him the Christ or make him Lord. He is already Savior, Christ, and Lord. What we do is we surrender our lives to what he already is. And I think this is going to be one of the biggest struggles that we have in our relationship with Christ. It's actually surrendering to him. Am I really surrendering everything to him? Is he truly Lord over my life? And so so what does it mean to surrender our lives to his lordship? And that's what I want to talk about today because when Jesus, that's why I like a way to major, he was Lord at his birth. And so what does it mean to surrender? Why, why do we see the word Lord used so many times in the New Testament? I believe it's for this reason. I believe, I believe God wants us to understand something about this title that is given to Jesus. And if we understand this title then it should change the way I live my life. And, and is my life surrendered to that title and that lordship of Jesus Christ? Now, the word Lord in the Greek, the language that the New Testament was written in, is this word curious, which literally means this. It means, a, it means supreme in authority and controller of all things. And so why is Jesus given this name Lord. Well, there's two reasons that we see in the New Testament why he's given the name Lord, because we see that he is Savior, and we see that he is the Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? I know we hear it all the time out in public, right? When people like to use, you know, Jesus' name when they're mad, and I'm like, hey, I know that guy too. You know that guy? Wow, do that when someone uses the Lord's name in vain, just go up and say, Hey, do you know him? Because I know him too. That's I noticed you mentioned his name. Do you know? No, I'm just teasing. Like, yeah, like I'm gonna do that, Pastor. Um, but it's not his last name. Okay. What I want you to understand about the, the, the name Christ, it's not his name, it's his title. This is Jesus' title. This is who he is. He is the Christ. Christ is Greek for the Hebrew word Messiah. It's the same word. So Christ in the New Testament in the Greek is the Hebrew word for Messiah. So it would be better to say this about Jesus Christ. We would say that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus the Christ. Christ. That is his title. And so what this word means, when you hear the word Jesus Christ, when you hear the word Christ and this title that's given to him, what this word literally means is this. It means literally anointed one or chosen one. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the chosen one. There is no other. At the birth of Jesus Christ, God came to earth in incarnate form in the flesh of men to reach us. So Jesus, living in this world, was fully God 
and fully man at the same time. Perfect Savior that came to reach us right where we were at. God himself, think, let this just blow your mind for a moment. Can I just blow your mind for just a moment here, okay? Think of it. The God of the universe comes down to us, to reach us. He is born in a manger, placed in a feeding trough. The God of the universe, he is Lord at his birth to walk amongst us, to serve us as a perfect savior and take our sins upon himself so that we could be reached and reconciled back to a holy God. That's how much he loves us. So much he cares about us. That the God of the universe didn't distance himself from you or stiff arm you and say, you can only approach me this way. See, here's the problem. Can I tell you the problem with religion? The problem with every other religious belief system that's in the world today, because everyone will say, well, they're intrinsically, they're pretty much the same, but they're really not because once you scratch underneath the surface, they're very much different. Every other religious system is about us trying to reach God. And if I could have a ladder, I would show you that every other religion is trying to Climb up the ladder to try to reach God. It's by the things that you do, how you act, the the different things that you do, the different religious calisthenics that you go through to try to reach God. So it's trying to climb up this ladder to God. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But here's the difference with Christianity. God came down the ladder to reach us, to save us. That's why he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. God came down and then gives us this gift of his very own son to reach us because there is no way that we could ever reach him. We would all fall short. There's no way. Wesley and I were uh, at a Syracuse game yesterday and, and what was really interesting, we got to go down and just stand on the court and watch the guys play. Syracuse has a center. He is seven foot two inches tall. His head basically almost hits the, the rim, right? And I'm looking at Wesley. And Wesley's like 6'2". He plays basketball. And um, I'm looking at Wesley going, he's a monster. Can you imagine trying to play against him? Now, can you imagine me going against this guy and me trying to dunk on that guy or going one-on-one? It's not going to happen. He's going to block every single shot. I, he just has to go like this or just like this. <laughs> and he'll play. There's, it's impossible for me to beat him. And here's the thing. It's impossible for us to reach God in our own strength, our own righteousness. We've all fallen short of God's perfection. So what does God do for us? That's what makes Christianity so beautiful. God says, I know you can't do it. So I'm going to do it for you. I know that you can't be perfect. I know that you mess up all the time. I know that your sin has blocked you from me. So I love you so much that in my grace and mercy, what I'm going to do for you, I'm going to do something that you can't do for yourself. And I'm going to give you this greatest gift of my son, Jesus. To reconcile that which was broken. To bring you back into a right relationship with me. Is that not a beautiful gift? Is that not a perfect gift? That's the gift that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. So here's the reason 
why Jesus is this anointed one, this Christ. He is set apart by God and given to us. Now, I like this word anointed because it's an interesting word in the Old Testament. Anointed means to be set apart. It means God takes something that's, that, and he makes it holy. He sets it apart for himself. And I love this word anointed because if you look at the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament priests were literally anointed with oil. It means, it means literally be anointed with oil. And, and so what God would do is he would take the holy things and he would say, these are the things that are going to represent me within the worship system within the temple. And so anything that was in the temple itself or in the tabernacle would be anointed with oil. It would be separated to God, consecrated in God for sacred use in his service. And so he would take the priests and literally anoint them and say, you are mine. You are set apart for me in service to me to represent the people before me. And so he would anoint them. And so Jesus being the Christ or anointed one, God says, this is my son. He is set apart. He is different from any other person because he is God and he has come to save you. He's perfect in every way. He is used for my service. And so Jesus is given this title because he was sent by God to deliver us from our sins. And so Jesus is given this title of savior for a reason. He's come to give us life, come to give his life as a ransom to pay the penalty for our sins and to take the wrath of God. That was the result of our sin. So here he is. He's the Christ. He's the savior because we need a savior. We can't do it ourselves. We are completely helpless without a savior and lost. And so God knew this and that's why he sent his son for us. This summer, I was swimming in my pool, and when we swim, our dog Mopsy goes crazy. She, like, runs back and forth. Bah, 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 when we're, I don't know, it just drives her crazy when we're in the pool. And so I'm swimming, and she fell in the pool. Now, I didn't know that because I couldn't. I was swimming. And so I noticed, and she's just, you know, 15 pounds of white fluff just, you know, just soaking wet. She, and I, I realized it, and she was in the corner, and she was not going to get out of the pool. She was just, you know, and I had to say, I was Mopsy's savior. I had to save her without me helping her. She was helpless without me. And so I got her and, you know, when are you going to learn Mopsy? Don't, you know, jump in the pool. You can't. And she didn't know she could swim down the other end and get out of the step. I mean, she was just, she was, she was literally helpless without me. I was Mopsy's only hope at that point. If she wanted to live another day. And so he, here's what we have to realize as Jesus being our savior. We have to realize we have to come to the point that Jesus is our only hope. He's the only one that can rescue us, and it's for this reason. Because he is God. He came to save us. Jesus is perfect, without sin. And he's the only one that could ever rescue us. He's the only one that could appease the holiness of God. And that's why he's given this title of Savior in Christ. Because he is the one. He's the one people have been waiting for. And the problem when Jesus came to earth is that people were looking for this Messiah to rescue them from Roman oppression. And God says, no, your real oppression is your sin. See, here's what I want you to realize. So many of us are looking for things to save us that are only temporary patches. It's only a temporary fix. And God says, I sent you my son, Jesus, 
Because the real issue is your soul. The real issue is your heart. If the real issue was the economy, I would have sent you an economist. Right? He didn't do that. The real issue is we all needed a savior. And that's why Jesus comes. That's why he's given that title. But here's the one thing I want us to understand. And the one thing that we can understand, we can understand, okay, I can understand Jesus being Savior. I can understand him being Christ. But what about this lordship issue? What about making Jesus Lord? Because it says that he is Lord. And what I want us to understand, I heard someone say this a long time ago, and it just kind of stuck with me in my heart. It, it, it says this, is that Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So we see this lordship, this Lord used 700 times in the New Testament. So I think God wants us to understand something here. Because I can have this knowledge about Jesus being Savior. Okay, I get that. That's a good thing. He came to rescue from my sins. He came to give a gift of eternal life so we wouldn't be separated from, from God in hell. Those are good things. I can, that, can that, that, that speaks to my heart. Okay, I can get the whole Savior thing of Jesus and the Christ thing of Jesus. But here comes, here comes the hard part. The hard part is the lordship issue. Because if I've not surrendered my life to Christ, then he will not be Lord over my life. And this is where, this is where the surrendering to who he is is most important. See, when Jesus is Lord, he will control my life and my decisions are now based on pleasing him. So lordship is a control issue. Lordship is a control issue. This is where it, yeah, this is where it comes down to. Okay, so everybody take your seatbelts and buckle them now because we're about to, it's about to get turbulent in here, okay? So, we, we will say to ourselves, well, pastor, I, I don't have a control problem. As long as everything goes my way and everyone does what I want. Right? Now, you may think to yourself, and I, I was thinking through this, and I'm thinking, I don't really have a control problem. And then I got thinking to myself, well, maybe I have a little bit of a control problem. I like to drive the car. I like to plan our vacations. I like to handle the money. I like to control the remote. Put... <laughs> the remote down, and nobody gets hurt, okay? I actually have holsters for the remotes that I walk around with like a cowboy. I can flip those things around. I can switch channels, boom, boom, boom. I can watch 18 shows at once and know what's going on in all 18 of them. I don't like a messy car. I don't like when someone walks out of the room and doesn't turn off the lights. You can tell I have kids, can't you? I don't like when people don't put the milk away. How old are we? 19? And you still not? Here's the counter. There's the milk. You can walk three steps this way and put it in the refrigerator. I don't like when they leave the front door open. I'm like, what do we live in a barn? Right? Can I get an amen? Is anybody with me there? Okay, so I might, I might, I might have a little, little bit of a control issue. Okay. So, so what I want to look at here is what is what that all of us have control problems. Let's just admit it and just say, 
hi, my name is Barden, and I have a control problem, okay? I want to be in control. So that's where, that's, that at the core of a lordship issue is control. So, so let's look at what lordship is and what it isn't. And it can't be this part-time lordship. Okay, Jesus didn't come to say, okay, you know, I'm going to be your savior and, you, and I can be your Lord part-time. Because many of us, that's what it comes down to. That Jesus is really just a part-time Lord in, in our lives. Let me just read this. Let me just read this to you in Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 46 and 49. I like this. Jesus is talking about the wise and foolish builders. Listen to what he says here. Just, 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 just catch this. This is good. Just catch this. He says, why do you call me? What does he say? Lord, Lord, curios, curios. And then do not do what I say. I will, and now he gives an illustration. He goes, I will show you what that is like. And who comes to me and hears my word. And here's my word, and then puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep, laid a foundation on the rock, and when the floods came, the torrent struck, and the house could not, be, could not shake it because it was well built. But the ones who hear my word and does not put them into what? Practice is like the man who builds his house on the ground without a foundation, and the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. My ESV notes say this about this very verse. Confession, apart from obedience, is worthless. Confession, apart from obedience, is worthless. Now, what's the meaning there? What does that mean? It's saying something, but then it's not doing it. It's, it's saying this confession and something that we believe, but then it's not follow through with what we believe. And that's really what lordship, lordship is. If I say this, if I say that you're my savior and you're my Christ, then the fruit of that is going to be seen through my obedience. Lordship is obedience. Lordship says, you are Lord over my life. You instruct me now, Jesus. You lead my way. I follow you. I listen to you. You've got to deal with my heart. So part-time Lordship doesn't choose who I forgive and who I don't forgive. Okay. It's going to start getting turbulent. Okay, are you guys ready? I just turned on this fasten seatbelt sign here. Okay, here we go. Part-time lordship says this. I'm the owner of everything. I'm the owner of my money. I'm the owner of my time. And Jesus, you can have Sundays. Survey says, eh, right? Okay. Part-time Lordship does what is comfortable for me. That's part-time lordship. Not going to work. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? I'm going to be completely honest with you. This is what bothers me about a lot that claim to be followers of Jesus. 
you will sit there and you'll talk to somebody and you'll say, you know, do you see what God's word says here? Yeah. Are you a follower? Yeah. Then God says in his word that you must do this. Are you going to do that? No. Really? No? Okay. Do we know what Luke chapter 6 just said? You know what's going to happen to that person? They've built their life on what? On a shaky foundation that leads to what? Destruction. And I'll tell you what, for me as a pastor, that's hard to see. Because you see someone that is fooled into believing that just because they say Savior and Lord, but they reject what God says in obedience to follow through and to stop doing what they're doing because it leads to destruction is a misunderstanding of what the lordship of Jesus is all about. You see, full-time lordship is a surrendered life, and a surrendered life is a life that's full of peace and joy because we've given up. I'm going to stop controlling my life. Romans 14, 7 and 8 says this. I love this. Listen to what Paul says. For none of us live for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. That, I don't know why that verse right there, that gives me so much comfort because so many people die alone. And when when you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are never alone because the Lord's with us. And if we live, we live for who? That's good. And if we die, we die for who? It's a pretty good deal right there, isn't it? So whether we live or die, we belong to who? Lordship issue. We belong to the Lord. So let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you are alive this morning? Okay, half of you, okay? We're going to have a healing service at the end of the service to revive the rest of you, okay? Okay. See, what what, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, ultimately we are not our own. We are God's. Whether we live or die, we do it unto the Lord. It's a lordship issue. So here's a vivid illustration for those of you who are married. You understand this. When I I got married to Kathleen 26 years ago, this is the same ring. I've never lost it. It's, um, it's, I think it's 14 karat gold. It cost me $54. I think it's worth a lot more right now. So it's kind of cool because gold's up. Um, I've never taken this off after I've gotten married. And, and, and the reason why I don't take off my wedding ring is because I belong to Kathleen. See, the moment I put that ring on on our wedding day is the day I said to Kathleen, hey, Kathleen, guess what? You have part of me. Do you think she would have bought that? If I would have said to Kathleen on our wedding day, Kathleen, listen, I'll be faithful to you 99.99 like ivory soap percent of the time. Is that okay with you? Then why do we say that to Jesus? People, it's a lordship issue. See, when I put this ring on, I said, not part of me, all of me. I can't do whatever I want. That wouldn't be a commitment. 
And see, the reason why Jesus demands lordship is for this reason, because he gave everything for you and I. A surrendered life says, God, I must forgive because that is what you commanded me to do. A surrendered life says, God, you're the owner. I'm the manager. Everything I have is yours. Let me be a good steward with it. See, a surrendered life says, God, how am I honoring you in my life? Are you really first? And here's how you know. Here's how you know. Am I honoring you? Here's how you know. God, do I give you the first of my week? God, do I give you the first of my giving or is it an afterthought? When I wake up in the morning, am I thinking about you, Lord? Lord, you have my day. When I listen and read your word, God, are you taking control of my heart and my thoughts and the things that, that you need to direct in my heart and life? And listen, all of us make mistakes. We're not perfect in this area. I believe we're all a work in progress. But am I opening my life up to say, God, ultimately you are, you are in control of my life. And I'm going to have to do things that I don't like to do. But that's obedience. That's obedience. See, we fall into this lie that we don't obey the word of God but because we say something like this, doesn't God want me to be happy? So our justification is God wants me happy so I'm going to be I'm not going to listen to his word and do what's right because I'm going to use the excuse that he wants me to be happy. Listen, God wants you to be happy and joyful, but the happiness and joy comes in a life that's obedience under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And sometimes those are hard choices. See, here's, listen, listen. It's not hard to obey the Lord. What's hard to do is to lay down my life. Because I want to be in control. That's the hard part. And so let me just say this as we close. Be accountable to somebody with your life. Be willing to open up your life, whether it's to listen, 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 listen. Be open enough with your spouse or someone else to say, you know what? Do I have some control issues in my life? And this isn't a time to whack someone with a bat and just say, oh, I've been waiting for this. I'm so glad Pastor brought this up. And now you all start just taking notes. I see that now. That's, that's not what this is for. This is not to use as leverage to beat each other up. But here's what I'm saying. You be the person that allows yourself to be vulnerable to say, you know what, are there areas in my life that you see that are control issues, that are blind spots that I don't see? Because sometimes in a spouse-married relationship, we don't want to bring those things up because we know it's going to lead to another argument. But if we truly are allowing Jesus to be the Lord of our life, we allow those conversations to happen because we all understand that we have blinders in our lives. And what we end up being is being codependent with each other and not really dealing with the true issues in our lives and fear of where it might lead or the discussion that it might lead to or the argument that it might lead to. But if we're really allowing Jesus to be the Lord of our life, then we humble ourselves underneath that and we allow ourselves to be open to say, you know what? There are areas in my life 
that are blinders that I'm not seeing that maybe you see and I need to open up my heart to that to allow you to speak something into my heart and my life. When you read God's word and you pray, ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, reveal things to me as I read your word that are blind spots in my life that I may not see. Conviction hurts, but conviction is good because God loves us. And he doesn't want our lives to be blinded by those things that will ultimately lead to destruction. So listen, get over yourselves. Get over myself. Okay? Let's try not to take things personally and to realize God is trying to allow me to grow in this area of lordship. A.W. Tozer says this. I'm going to close with this. The band's going to come. We're going to close in a song. But A.W. Tozer said this. Great, great pastor. Died in 1963. Some of you have read his book, The Pursuit of God. Really good stuff. Good devotional stuff. You can get a hold of anything by A.W. Tozer. I would highly recommend it. He said this. Are you ready? He said, these are three distinct marks of those who have been crucified with Christ, of those who are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Here are three distinct marks. Are you ready? He said, first of all, they are facing only in one direction. Number two, they can never turn back. And number three, they no longer have plans of tomorrow. And what does he mean by that? He means that every day, God, you take control of my life. You're ultimately Lord over my life. So here's my prayer for you today as we pray. What areas are you struggling in your life with control? What, what areas in your mind have you been overthinking and worrying about and has caused anxiety in your heart what that boils back to is the, or what this boils down to usually is a control error of giving this up to the Lord and saying God I've got to give this to you and I've got to walk by faith here you're ultimately in control of my life whether I live or die ultimately I belong to you and I give my life to you I need to trust you with this and so many times we want to say okay God you're not moving fast enough so I'm going to take over right you ever done that to somebody they're not doing it quick enough so they're, I'm just going to do it all right control Issues, okay? Here's the thing God is not our co pilot. Stupidest bumper sticker ever made in the face of the world, okay? God is our pilot. Period. You give the controls over to Him, you start flying the plane, Jesus. And some of you. You're still in the cockpit and you're still helping God try to fly the plane. Stop it. Stop it. And just say, I've got to give you the, the reins. I've got to give you the controls. And begin to take my life. Begin to control my life, Jesus. So let me pray for you today. And let's allow God to speak to our hearts in these areas that we need to allow him to take control. Amen? Praise God. Okay. We're landing the plane now. Turbulence is over. We made it through the storm. Okay. God is going to do some good work and great work in your heart. Listen, he loves you. He cares for you. Let him be Lord. Let him take over. That's the best place to be. So, Lord, we come before you today. All of us struggle in this area. And I pray for these here today that have been maybe playing church. 
maybe playing around with their relationship with you, God, but you're not really the owner. You're not really Lord. So we come before you today, Jesus, and we say, Jesus, take over my life. Become Lord of my life. I give you control of my life. I give you control of these problems I've been dealing with, these things that have caused anxiety in my heart. I give them to you now. And so, Lord, take control of every heart in this place that calls on you. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us and you care for us, that underneath your lordship is peace and hope and joy. It's a great place to be. So, God, help us not to be those that say, Lord, Lord, but don't do what you say. Let us submit to that lordship today of who you are. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. All God's children said, amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this song and close you. Let this song just minister to you. God bless you.